Welcome to Liberty this morning. Uh, if you are a guest and I haven't gotten to meet you, I want to make sure to do that later uh, before you head out. My name is Justice. I'm one of the pastors here. And we have a couple of announcements before we get into the Word. First, our summer camp is two weeks from tomorrow morning. Really excited for everyone going. Uh, if you have not paid yet, those payments are due today. If for some reason that's going to be a problem, just talk to me so we can work something out. Um, also, next Sunday is our Celebrate Summer Southern Style Picnic Outreach, so make sure to invite friends, family, neighbors, if you haven't done that yet, and plan on bringing a side. If you have any questions, grab me after church, or Jake, email one of us. We're going to have a lot of fun things going on, some cool games. There's going to be some sack races, too. We ordered some of those burlap sacks, so it's going to be an awesome time. Um, if our kids want to stand up, we have class for ages 4 to 10. I'm going to pray for them. Father, um, we pray for our children, children, and as they go to class today, we ask that you would continue to reveal to them who you are through your word, and continue to reveal to them how um, the whole Bible is about your son, Jesus. And uh, God, we ask that you give the teachers wisdom and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the last couple times I preached, we read from Acts chapter 2. I think that has been a couple of months. Um, one of the things that I asked the church to do, asked you to start making your way through the entire church, making it a goal to have either gone out to a meal with everyone or had everyone over um, so that we can start breaking bread together and fellowshipping together. That's one of the things I asked um, at the start of the year, or the end of last year. So that was five months ago. We're five months into 2019. And since I get to get up here today, I'm going to ask everybody how you're doing. <laughs> how have you all been doing with this? Um, I want to encourage you to continue to make it a priority to get together with people. Don't make excuses. It's easy to do. You could say, I'm single. So it would be weird to you know, get together and ask a married couple out for lunch. Or you could say, I'm older. It would be weird to go up to younger people and be like, hey, you want to join us for lunch? You could say, I've got kids, single people wouldn't want to go eat with us because our kids are crazy. Um, you could say, my house is too small, my house is not clean, I can't afford it, I don't have time. You could say a whole lot of things, but fellowship and breaking bread together is important. The command of hospitality and the pattern we see in Scripture doesn't change because we have excuses. Okay, um, And an excuse... The definition is a reason put forward to conceal the real reason for an action or a pretext. So, don't make excuses. Engage in fellowship. Engage in hospitality. Be intentional because life is busy. Amen? Life is busy. Biblical fellowship and breaking of bread doesn't just happen on its own. And there are people in our church that need fellowship. And you need fellowship whether you realize it or not. So would you stand and pray with me? Father, um, we ask that you would help us to be a hospitable church, to be a church that breaks bread together, a church that is intentional in our relationships with each other, a church that will laugh and cry together and love each other well. We ask that you would bless the efforts of hospitality and fellowship that your people put forth and that you would cause those efforts to be very fruitful. Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for loving and saving us. 
Help us to know you better and to become more like you as we look at the word this morning. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate your word. Empty me of myself, get me out of the way and speak through your word. I ask that I would not be a hindrance to anyone hearing what you want them to hear this morning. Help us to see clearly what your word says and move our hearts to respond. Amen. You can be seated. So, turn in your Bibles to James, chapter 1. We're going to look at this. We're going to read the first 12 verses of James 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower, for the sun withers with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms falls and and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So, what I want us to look at this morning is something that's been on my heart for a while to share. My parents asked me about a year ago um, what was one of the chief things I wanted to share with the church when I preached, and I shared with them a little bit of what I'm sharing this morning. And as I pondered it earlier this year, it came up as a subject of discussion at the missions conference I went to in January, and I've been seeing articles pop up in my Facebook feed, and so as much as I wanted to put this off, I felt like God was saying to look at it today. This is probably a multiple sermon topic, so you're going to hear more on it in the future. Um, But to get started, I'm going to do a brief summary of James 2 through 8, which is normally a sermon on its own. Um, Very brief summary. Trials are an opportunity for us to grow, mature, develop perseverance, and become more like Jesus. But in order for that to happen, we have to respond the right way. You can respond incorrectly to a trial and not grow. You need to ask God for wisdom, believe that he will give it, trust him, and do what he says, not what we want to do. And so in verses 2 through 4 here, um, we see faith, and then we see trials that test that faith, and then perseverance and maturity that come out of that. That comes out of following God. And then in verses 14 and 15, it says, But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And I think we see right here the opposite. This is what happens when you follow your own desires instead of following God. Um, 
There's desire, which leads to temptation, which leads to sin, which leads to death. So you can follow God and mature and grow, or you can follow yourself and walk down the road to death. So who wants to respond the right way to trials? Right? Hopefully all of us here do. Um, And that's my prayer for you all, that uh, when we get to verse 12, that we'll be able to say as a church, everyone here, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So in verses 9 through 11 here, James gives two examples of trials. Um, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. So most of these trials have to do with money. Okay, um, when James was writing, there wasn't really a middle class. People were either poor or people were rich. And James gives multiple warnings to the rich in this book, as does the rest of the Bible. Um, and we'll look at some of those in just a little bit. But what I believe James is saying here is that those who are rich and those who are poor need to look at how things are through God's eyes, okay? Not the world's eyes. They need to look at circumstances biblically and not economically. And this challenges our culture's idea of success. So first, the poor man, just for a little bit. Um, The brother in humble circumstances is referring to those who are poor. Um, So what high position would he have? Viewing it from the world, if you are, are poor you don't really have a a high position. Um, But viewing it from the riches that Jesus provides, which is what we need to do, the low have a high position. It says um, the brother, anyone who has Jesus, has more than the richest person in the world. Jesus is worth more than all of the money and all the possessions we could ever have. And riches only last a short time, and they don't do anything for your eternal destiny. Riches can't save us, but the brother, the one who has trusted in Christ, has been saved. And if you've trusted in Christ, you have been redeemed and will spend eternity in heaven. So, what a high position, right? He doesn't have a high position in the eyes of the world, but he has a very high position viewing it through the lens of Christ. And the message we find in the Bible is not, if you apply God's wisdom, you will get lots of money. Okay, that's not the message we see in the Bible. Following Jesus is not about getting materially or financially rich in this world. It's about richness that is found in him. And those who are poor are dependent on Jesus. They recognize their need because they they need his help. Um, And that's a good position to be in. So being poor is given as an example of a trial. And I think normally, if we're struggling with finances, if we're poor, we recognize, yeah, that's a trial. Okay, we recognize that trial. What I want to talk about today is the second example, which is being rich. Because generally, when we have a lot of money, we don't consider that to be a, a trial. But James presents it as one here. Um, now, most of us in this room probably don't consider ourselves rich. Um, and if we compare ourselves to other people we know, that might seem pretty correct. Someone was talking to me about they went over to someone's house and 
they had multiple homes on the property and a barn and horses and this giant house and all that stuff. So compared to some of the people we know, we're definitely not rich. And if we compare ourselves to professional athletes or movie stars, um, we wouldn't look very rich at all, right? Football players make millions and millions of dollars. Uh, most of you, unless you have hidden it from me, probably are not making that much money. Um, so we wouldn't look rich compared to them, at least not in terms of possessions and money. But richness is a, com- a comparison thing, right? So if you compare yourself to the rest of the world, it's likely that just about everyone in this room is actually rich. Um, if you make, as a total this year, as a household, $32,400, um, you will be in the top 1% of the entire world. Okay, 32400 puts you in the top 1% of the entire world, meaning you are richer than over 7 billion people on the planet. If you increase your income just a little bit to 50000 you're now in the top 0.3% of the world. And so my point in saying this is not to make anyone feel guilty about the money that um, they make, but while we might not be as rich as we want or as rich as a neighbor or a movie star, we need to recognize that we have wealth that most of the world will only ever dream about and never see. And it's easy for us to want more money and to consider ourselves as not wealthy. But again, compared to the vast majority of the world, we are wealthy. And so I think a natural reaction to hearing this um, is to think, well, that might be true, Justice, but it costs a lot more to live here in America than it does somewhere else. That is, that is true. It's a valid point. Um, but I don't want us to think of richness in comparison to America's standards. Like, we might not be rich compared to America's standards, but I don't want us to view everything through the lens of America because that's the culture we're in. It's easy to only view things through that lens. We want to view through the lens of the Bible not through the lens of America's standards. So I have not been to a lot of other countries, and I have not been to some of the poorest countries in the world, but I've spent a lot of time in Belize, which is considered a poor country in comparison to the United States. And it is not uncommon to see a family of six or eight living in a 400-square-foot house. No air conditioning, outhouse for a toilet, people taking in friends and family that don't have a place, and even though their 400-square-foot house is already full, struggling to put food on the table. You know, if they have a car, it's usually run down and it's always being worked on, but a lot of people just get by on bicycles and catching rides with other people. And those families are praying and trying to figure out how to get their kids through school. Not like college, but grade school, middle school, because it costs. And it's like, do you put food on the table or do I get my kid to school? So many of the things that we consider basic necessities, they would consider luxuries for the wealthy. But if you take and compare you know, someone in Belize to life in Haiti or life in some places over in Africa, all of a sudden they look rich. Okay? So there's, there's a, a lot there. But generally speaking, when you, when you look at us in America, like I said, we are the richest in the world. So... When we are faced with being some of the richest people on the planet, richer than more than 7 billion people, I believe that we, 
as believers, should pay special attention to the scriptures that address the rich. Okay, we should pay special attention to that. Everyone in this church and everyone in America, I believe. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at some scriptures that talk about the rich and talk about wealth and money. The Bible gives enough commands and warnings about wealth that if we take it seriously, which we should, we should take the Bible seriously, right? Um, It should frighten us. So we're going to go through uh, several different passages. Turn to Mark chapter 10. In verse 17, is where we will begin. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) We'll be first. So this passage right here, again, could be a whole sermon. I just want to go through several and offer some brief commentary on them. Um, verse 21, Jesus tells him to go and sell everything and give to the poor. So talking about material possessions. The man goes away sad. Why? Because he had a lot. He had a lot of stuff. He's not giving up a little bit to go follow Jesus. He's giving up a lot to follow Jesus. And then Jesus says in verse 23, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Disciples are amazed, so Jesus says it again with even stronger language. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Do you think Jesus was serious? I mean, he's, he's pretty serious. He's, he's, using, he's, make, he's trying to make a point. Um, have you guys ever seen a camel? Most people have seen camels. They're pretty big. They're a lot bigger than a needle, okay? So he's saying, hey, guys, it's really hard, okay? It's really, really hard. Now, Jesus is not saying wealth is bad, okay? He never said here wealth is bad, but he identified the problem that the rich young man had. The rich young man was attached to his wealth. 
When faced with giving up all of his possessions to follow Jesus, he walked away sad because his money was too important to him. The more wealth you have, the harder it is to let it go. And then in the last few verses, you see something repeated at many places in the New Testament. What we do serving Jesus here and how we use what he has given us has an impact on our life in the age to come, which is a whole other sermon. Um, turn to First Timothy chapter 6. We're going to read some there. We're going to start in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So I think this is a pretty strong warning against wanting riches. Against wanting riches. We won't be able to take any of it with us when we die, right? You die, you can't pull your money to heaven or to hell with you, okay? It stays here. It's gone. Verse 9 says that people who want to get rich will fall into temptation and a trap. And many foolish and harmful desires. Desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction, which sounds an awful lot like verses 14 and 15 in James that we read earlier. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Again, not money itself, but the love of it. Here's what we need to watch, I think, though. Our hearts are deceptive. I think we often say, the Bible doesn't say money is evil, just that the love of it is the root of all kinds of evil, which is a true statement. However, I think we can often say that and turn a blind eye to the love of money we have in our hearts. I don't really love money. You know, money is not evil. And our hearts deceive us, and we still we love that money or the stuff that it buys. Um, a larger house, a better TV, a nice car, new phones, material possessions, even just, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the past couple of months I've been watching this TV online. It's a TV that I, I really want, and uh, it was $1,000, and it dropped $900 and 800 and like two days before I was getting ready to preach, it dropped to $600, and I was like, hmm, but my TV works fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not as big and as nice as this one is. And uh felt like God was like, do you really need that TV? Like, you're getting ready to preach on this. Like, you don't really need this TV. And I was like, you're right. You're right. My TV works fine. And I desire, ooh, it's shiny. It's nice, you know. It's, it's there. We have to be really careful here in America not to fall into that trap of wanting more and wanting money, and what money buys. Paul says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. Flee. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Flee from the love of money. Turn to James 5. In verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. 
Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. So there's more happening here than just wealth. But we do see here what happens to wealth. It rots. It fades. Moths eat it. It doesn't last. And again, you can't take it with you. And let it not be said of us when the time for judgment comes that we lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence and fattened ourselves in the day of slaughter. Hebrews 13.5 Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So again, keep your lives free from the love of money. And in a society that is all about wealth, this is something we need to fight in order to do. And with our hearts the way they are, always wanting more, we have to work to keep our lives free from that love of money. Um, Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at one verse in Luke 8. So this verse, it's in the parable of the sower and the seeds falling on different soils. I just want us to look at one of the soils. Verse 14 says, The seed that fell among thorns, which was not good, right, uh, stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Again, we see one of the things that can choke out maturity in a believer is riches. Um, Luke chapter 12, a couple of pages over. We'll start reading in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me as a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This guy's pretty rich. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat. Or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, and they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. 
Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow, yet they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. (coughs) Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, a lot can be said here, but a few things. We see Jesus saying a man's life does not consist of his possessions, the stuff that he owns, his money. We see a man saving up and hoarding wealth instead of sharing it with others and giving it back to God. And we see how God takes care of birds and the earth. And if that, like how much more will he not take care of us? Because we run after money because we think we need this and we need that and we need to provide and we do need to provide for our families. But imagine with me for a moment that as a parent, for those of you who are parents in here, maybe future parents, you have infinite resources, infinite amounts of money and, and everything, all the money in the world at your fingertips. Now, if your kids needed something, wouldn't you give it to them? If they needed it, it'd be like, yeah, I'm going to take care of you. I've got all the resources. You definitely are going to have it. Of course you would. As it is, as parents, you sacrifice to give things to your kids, even when you don't have all the resources in the world. Um, Now, if you had all those resources, you wouldn't give them everything they want, right? Because kids don't know what's good for them sometimes. You don't give them everything they want, but everything they need, yes. How much more so will God, who is the creator and sustainer of all things, with infinite wisdom and power and resources, give us, his children, everything we need? Okay, everything we need. He's not going to give us maybe everything we want, but we don't need to chase after money. We need to chase after God who provides us with what we need. We are told not to run after material things, but seek God's kingdom. And then Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor and build up a treasure for yourself in heaven where it's going to last forever. And Matthew chapter 6 says pretty much the same thing as Luke 12 Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven. So as I've I've pondered this, I believe we usually encounter God in a more profound way when we are in need and not when we are prospering. When we're really in need for something, like that's when we encounter God, when he comes through for us. Not when we're, you know, living, we have no problems, we've got all this, and we're like, yeah, we encounter God in need. Um, and I think, at least to some degree, those of us who are, are rich are able to buy our way into most of the things that we need. And the church, when you look around the world, has always grown faster amongst those who are poor because they, they can't make it on their own and they recognize their, their need. They can see it more clearly. 
And as I, I thought about riches and chasing money and buying stuff, um, salvation can't be bought, right? We can't buy salvation. All of us stand condemned in our sins except for salvation found in Jesus. We can't earn salvation by good works. Our deeds don't get us a spot in heaven. The only escape from hell is through salvation in Jesus, which is by grace, through faith, a gift of God, not by our works, so that no one can boast. We can't buy our way into heaven. We have to depend on Jesus. And if we can trust Jesus to get us into heaven, we can trust him with our finances and our money and our stuff here on earth. And I think this is one of the greatest dangers of wealth is dependence on it, desire for it. We, with it, we feel like we can be responsible for ourselves and responsible for our destiny. We can decide how things are going to go for us. And it is deceptive because we can't. I can't decide how things are going to go for me. God's already got that figured out. Jesus came free. He came to set us free from our sin to give us the grace to live in and depend on Him. He won the victory, not me. He won the victory, not my money. So as we look at those three verses in James, both the poorness and richness are presented as a trial in this present world. But most of us would probably rather have the trial of more money, right? Of, of the trial of richness. That's the trial we would rather have. Um, but even that... I think, can show us our hearts. Like, if only we had a little more, we would be satisfied. That's not how it works. The sinful nature in us always craves more. Never reach a point where you don't. We have to guard against that, and we have to be careful, because wealth will not satisfy. So if wealth is dangerous, which I think we see it can be in Scripture, and there's all these warnings, and if we are considered rich at least compared to the rest of the world, what are we as believers to do? How are we to respond? How do we keep our lives in America free from the love of money? And I would suggest that we start by reminding ourselves <coughs> why we are here and what the greatest commandment is. What is the chief end of man? Yeah, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Good job, catechism teachers. Um, so I encourage you to ask yourself, how do I best glorify God and enjoy Him with my money? Not enjoy my money, but glorify God and enjoy Him with my money. And I do not intend to step on any toes here, but we should all ask ourselves, you know, do I need a, a, a brand new car? Do I need a newer and a bigger house? Do I need the newest phone? Is that the best way for us to glorify God with our money? I'm saying we should ask that question. Will people look at the new car and want Jesus because he gave you that car? They, they might want the car, okay? <laughs> that doesn't mean that they want Jesus. They want the car, okay? They want the riches, not Jesus. And I suggest that we look at Matthew 22, which says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we want to keep our lives free from the love of money, I believe, by loving God and loving people. So with that in mind, we want to do it that way, by loving God and loving people. I would suggest that we be a very giving people, that we give generously. We give to our church. We give to those in need. We give to missions. Uh, My favorite book on giving is called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. And I want to read a quote from it. He says in regard to giving, another benefit of giving is freedom. It's a matter of basic physics. The greater the mass, the greater the hold that mass exerts. The more things we own, the greater their total mass, the more they grip us, setting us into orbit around them. Finally, like a black hole, they suck us in. We think we own our possessions, but too often they own us. Every item we buy is one more thing to think about, talk about, clean, repair, rearrange, fret over, and replace when it goes bad. Church, don't be deceived by wealth. Free yourself from deceit, the deceit of riches, by giving. And this sermon is not in any way meant to increase the amount of funds we get in our offering. It's not meant to guilt you into giving to the church. I'm not sharing this because I think that you guys are all greedy and in love with money. The purpose of looking at these scriptures today is to allow God to speak to our hearts through his word on the subject of money because our hearts get attached to it easily. Something that is so precious to our culture, both believers and unbelievers, needs to be addressed. And I want our church to be free from the deceitfulness of riches and the love of money. And I want us to make sure that we have our hope put in God, not in what we own or what we make. I want our hearts set on God, not on money. And I want us to honor God with what he has given us. And I think this is key because you can live below your income for the sake of living below your income, and it's not worth anything. There's a trend of, I can't really say this word, I have a hard time with it, but minimalism right now, you know, um, get rid of all your stuff and only have a little bit. And that that's not bad, but it's not godly to just simply live on less. You can live on less and still be a cold, unloving person Okay, that doesn't use your money in a good way. Deciding to live on less, to love God and love people, that's something biblical. Say, I'm going to live on less. I'm going to keep my life free from the love of money because I love God and I want to love people, as he has said. Um, John Piper describes this as wartime living or wartime simplicity. Um, And he means, in in short summary, we are in a war, right? We are in a spiritual battle. And in wartime, you sacrifice things and you go without things so as to win the war. So you recognize what is truly important and you put other things to the side. And... There are over 3 billion people in the world who have never met a Christian. Never met a Christian, never heard the gospel. You have neighbors who aren't believers, friends and family who aren't believers. And I want to encourage you to love them and not money. And to love them will often mean to sacrifice for them just as Jesus did. 
As I said earlier, I want verse 12 of James 1 to reflect all of us here. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, the test of wealth that I think a lot of us have here in America, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So as we get ready to leave today, as wealth is presented as a trial here, James says what we should do in the midst of trials. I'd like you to walk away asking God, who gives generously without finding fault, for wisdom. How do I honor you, God, with the riches you have given me? Because there's no line in Scripture, okay? There's no, no um, line in Scripture given to say too much luxury or simple enough, you know, like you're living in too much luxury. It's, it's kind of a, a blurry line there. Um, there's not a set amount that you have to give in order to be considered generous. Okay, It doesn't say, you give X percent and you're a generous person. You give this much and you're a generous person. God doesn't say you can't have a new car or an iPhone. Okay, He doesn't say that, but we need to seek Him for wisdom with what we are doing with our money and make sure we, we aren't living in self-indulgence. What we do see in Scripture is a call to lay down everything for Jesus, a call to love God and your neighbor, and a call to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. There's a call to give generously, to lay up treasures in heaven and not here, and a call to keep your life free from the love of money, to live in a way that glorifies God. So today, ask God, who gives, again, wisdom generously without finding fault, how do I honor you with my riches? How do I keep my life free from the love of money? And as you seek his wisdom, Examine yourself, examine your heart, and ask, is my life free from the love of money? If not, what can you do about it? If God's convicting you through Scripture, respond. Figure out what you need to do about it. It might be simple, it might be small, it might be big, I don't know. But don't hear God's Word and not act. And finally, my last encouragement is just to be a generous person, to give. Jesus was so generous. God is so generous. Um, do I have any IGY kids in here? You guys tell me what generous means. Everyone's too afraid. Too many people. We've been talking about generosity at, at youth group. Um, but showing a readiness to give more of something, more than what's expected, more than what's required, giving a large amount. Let's be generous people. Love God, not money. Love people, not money. Use the riches God has given you to love and serve Him and to love and serve people. Being generous will help you keep your lives free from the love of money and it will cost you but it will also help you lean in on God for dependence, which is a really good place to be. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are good and that you love us and that you promise to take care of us as a good father. We ask that you would help us to keep our lives free from the love of money and the deceitfulness of wealth. God, you've given us many, many, many material blessings and riches, and we do have so much more than most of the world. 
We ask that you would help us to use what you've given us to honor you and to bless others and to lay up treasures for ourselves, not on earth, but in heaven. Please free us from any hold that money has on us and make us a generous people, God. Make us a generous church. Jesus, help us to imitate you. Though you were rich, yet for our sakes you became poor. So help us to give freely and help us to be more like you. I ask if I misspoke or mischaracterized you somewhere this morning that you would make that clear. I ask that you would magnify the scripture and truth that were shared this morning. They would loom large in our hearts. Don't let us remain unchanged. Let none of us walk away sad like the rich young ruler. And let none of us walk away deceiving ourselves into thinking that we don't have to worry about this. We ask that you would renew our minds and transform our hearts. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit as we fellowship with each other now. Help us to stay in step with your Spirit this week. Open our eyes to see the opportunities you have for each of us to be generous and to share the gospel with those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen.